Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. All right. Well, it is a packed house today. It is nice to see everybody here today. It feels good. Are you guys feeling the presence of God today? I do too. Let me pray for you, and then we're just going to dive right into the Word. But um, if you want to, I'm not saying you have to. If you're uncomfortable, it's okay. But if you want to reach out to the person on your left and your right and kind of just put a hand on their shoulder, hopefully they washed their hands this morning. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I always think that. Hey, man. All right, let's pray. Father, I just pray for each person here today that we could just toss you the keys this morning. Mm. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you do impossible things, that when you enter the room, everything becomes possible. So right now, every person here, they've all got a dream, they've all got a hope, they've all got a destiny. (laughs) They've all got a purpose. Lord, I just pray that you would fill them up this morning, Lord. Let their presence and their, let the presence of God just invade. In Jesus' name, Hmm. amen. So good. I've got a little preacher here on the front row. It's cool. All right, so today, let's, let's dive in. I have a message that is near and dear to my heart for you today. Today, I want to talk to you about... February being our love month, obviously. Um, We want to talk about the title of my message is The Jesus Marriage. So, I have a question for you today, and you've probably heard it before. So my question for you is, can you receive it in a fresh way? Because that's what the Lord does, right? He communicates ancient truths, but when his voice breathes it into your spirit, it becomes something fresh and different and new to you that maybe you haven't heard. And so that's my prayer for you this morning is this question. Who is Jesus to you? Who has he revealed himself to you as? Because, you know, there's a weight behind your personal revelation of who Jesus is to you. Maybe he's your deliverer. Maybe he's your companion your helper, your person to call whenever you need to talk. But I want to talk a little bit about who Jesus is to me. I want to kind of use this as a lead into the Jesus marriage for you. So I know I've preached about this before, but man, it's my story and I love to tell it. So if you've heard it before, I'm sorry, but not sorry. So when I was one years old, I became pretty deathly ill. Um stopped eating, was just kind of non-responsive. My mom said when they took me to the hospital, eventually, because it was the 80s, whatever, (laughs) when they took me to the hospital, um, that I couldn't even wrap my finger, like couldn't even wrap my fingers around my mom's. You know when you put a finger in a baby's hand and it wraps around just kind of instinctually? That wasn't happening for me. So long story short, My mom's in the hospital with me. I'm non-responsive, kind of unconscious. And the doctors are all huddled around taking screens. And my mom comes in, they call her in, and 
She said, what's going on? And they didn't want to tell her because it was just the technicians and the doctors, but my mom's a pretty assertive lady. She kind of is strong-willed. I love that. So she kind of forced her way into the room from what I heard in the memory. It's like a movie. And she's like, tell me what it says. <laughs> Maybe not that dramatic, but probably a little less than that. And um, they said, well, it's, it's, a, it's a large, sizable mass in his abdomen. And I don't know if, you, if you're in the medical profession, you're probably familiar that that is an indicator of a rare, pretty lethal childhood cancer, right? So the doctors leave. My mom's by herself. My dad's trying to get the pastors out there to pray for me, and she's alone in this waiting room. She kneels before the Lord, and she starts thinking about Hannah from Samuel, you know, who was... Um, barren. Her womb was closed, and it was her heart's desire to have children. And she made a promise before the Lord. She said, Lord, if you will give me a son, then I will give him to you for the rest of the day, for the rest of his life. He will spend all of his days in the house of the Lord. And so my mom remembered that story, and she said that she made a deal with the Lord in that moment. She said, if you will heal my son, I'll give him to you all the days of his life. I'll make sure that he grows up in the presence of God in the church. And so the deacons came, they prayed for me, anointed me with oil. Twelve hours pass, no change. And then the next morning, I was just recovered. I mean, I, I woke up and I, and I started to eat again. And for those of you who need the specifics, no, nothing physically changed. There wasn't any exit of any kind that happened. Just gone. They did the scan again, just gone. And I recovered miraculously. And the doctors even told my mom, they said, we were really afraid to talk to you about this um, because we, were, we weren't hopeful that your kid was going to make it. They said, but this really is a miracle. And so when I say that Jesus is my healer, would you talk about who Jesus has revealed himself to you as? It is different when it is rooted in your testimony. It is not the same story as just walking around as somebody who believes that God has healed, but when the Lord has healed you, would you say, Jesus is my healer. There carries a weight behind it. And it's a weight that I felt for my whole life. Whenever I said that phrase, it's never come up empty for me. Because when I say that Jesus is my healer, there is a weight. I have lived that truth. I haven't just seen him heal other people. He's healed me. And so, Jesus saved my life. So hear my heart on this. I can never, I can never believe that I'm worthless. I just can't. I can't believe I don't have purpose. I can't, I can't swallow that lie. Because Jesus sees me. Now hear my heart behind this. Because this is difficult waters I'm wading into right now. So just get comfortable. We'll bob along together. It'll be okay. I'll make you laugh. My words will tickle you so that it doesn't sting a little bit. Um, so what I'm saying is that Jesus healed me. But can I tell you a controversial secret? Heaven is better than earth. <laughs> It is, it is better. 
Trust me. And I don't believe that our purpose is somehow limited to our journey on this earth. I don't think that the second that we die, we're neutralized into like lobotomized spiritual entities who have no purpose and just smile all the time. I think that this, this earth, this life, everything that you're going through, every obstacle that you face, every moment that's led you to the feet of Jesus where he revealed himself to you in a specific way has a reason that extends beyond your mortal life here. You're in prep school for what you're gonna be doing for the rest of eternity. This life is just a hiccup when you look at your existence that's in front of you. So in this moment, when Jesus revealed me as my healer, I'm not saying that just because I was able to grow up and, and live my life, that that is why I believe I have purpose. I am saying that the Lord sees me and he sees you. So, 33 years later, which is, you know, this past summer, if you remember, <laughs> um, I decided to be a mature adult <laughs> and start getting, um, like, physicals and just, like, you know, pop the hood because I'm at the age right now, I'm 34 going on 35, and that is the teetering point where they stop saying, let's take care of that, and they start to say things like, well, I mean, it's going to happen with time. <laughs> let's take a little bit care of this. So I'm on, that, I'm on that teetering point of that moment there, you know, so I'm, I'm going to just make sure that I'm okay, and so they, they took my blood work, and um, I didn't even really look at it too bad because I was just trying to focus in on the big ones, you know, like cholesterol and stuff like that. I'm like, what does that look like? That I didn't even notice that there was a level in my blood that was supposed to be at like, I think it's 1.4, 1.3 um, creatine levels. And my creatine levels were upwards of um, 8,000. 8, it was almost 9,000. So that's a scary rabbit hole to go down into. I don't recommend anybody when you get blood work to Google what it is because you will always be disappointed. But because I can't help it, you guys know me, you know the way I teach and how I diagnose, and I'm, I am a doctor. I've watched several medical fields, <laughs> medical shows. <laughs> so I researched, and um, you know, obviously all the terrible things. <laughs> Your kidneys might be failing. You have kidney cancer. You might have a neuromuscular disease. And I thought, oh, that's a good one. No, it's not. It's worse. <laughs> and so there's like, and I'm kind of walking around thinking that I'm walking in a bubble because I'm not freaking out, you know? I ha and I don't want to act like I'm super spiritual because I, I, I freak out about several things that are way less important, you know? But I wasn't freaking out about this. I just wasn't. I thought, Lord, are these emotions going to slap me in the face? What is going to happen? Um, and so... I got pricked like a, like a, I don't know, a pincushion for like three weeks. I got blood work done like three times a week for like a month. And um, they were trying to monitor all these levels and try to figure it out. I saw every, every kind of specialist and doctor that you can, can think of. They were testing for everything. Um, and I remember, I remember the advice I got because when it first happened, I, I was on the phone with Steve. And Steve told me, he said, there's going to be an opportunity where the fear is going to try to grab a hold of you. And he says, and you have the, and you have the chance to, to not, to trust in the Lord, because once fear gets a hold of you, it becomes like a vehicle in your life, right? It kind of moves forward. Um, the intentions, not of the Lord, but of the enemy in your life. So I had one moment where I got a little nervous about it, and I really felt the presence of the Lord really strong, so I just kept going through it, and I had people praying for me, um, and I remember thinking, why am I so at peace? Why am I so at peace right now? Because this is, this is a lot. I, I'm married. I have 
three kids under seven. Like, I've got a lot to live for. Why am I at rest? And I remembered one simple truth that I've lived. Jesus is my healer. He began a good work in me when I was a kid. Does that mean that that cancer is going to resurface and come back when I'm an adult and win? I don't think so. The Lord starts, he finishes the good work he begins in us, right? And so I had a monument in my life to look back to. You see, and that's what the Lord does, is that's the power of your testimony, that's the power of your, of your monument, is that when the Lord has revealed himself to you in a specific way, nobody can touch that testimony. Nobody can take that away from you. It doesn't matter what any doctor says, it doesn't matter what any well-meaning friend or person said in an offhand conversation, that made you afraid, when you know who the Lord has revealed himself to you as, you can stand on that truth. And all the other words that the enemy tries to use to shape your life can't hold any weight because they are beneath you and you are seated on top of that revelation of who Jesus is to you. So, I went for my normal blood work. I got on the phone with my friend Josh Fisher. He plays bass back there. And he prayed for me right before I walked in. And he said, Lord, let this blood work come back normal this time. And I, I've got to tell you, I was sitting in that car and as he was praying, I haven't felt this often, but I felt like a presence of God that felt like a warm honey down the back of my neck. I could just tell you it was like sweet and felt it. And I, I hate honey. I hate sticky foods. So the fact that I'm sitting there and I'm like enjoying this, you know, I'm feeling the presence of God is a miracle in itself. So I was, you know, was pretty hopeful. Anyway, so they took the, uh, the test and then I got the call back and within a matter of like three days, because I had my blood work done on Monday and it was up in like the six or 7,000. And four days after weeks of blood work, it was completely normal. It had it, yeah. So listen to me. When I tell you that Jesus is my healer, it has weight. And when I say it before you, I've got to be honest, I feel anticipation that he wants to heal people in this room this morning. That's who he is. Do you know a lot of healings at, at Bethel and in, when the Lord moves, it doesn't mean that somebody laid hands on you or the right person prayed for you as if they're the ones that carry the power. It is the presence of God. It is the spirit of Jesus that is accessible to you all the time. You can have it whenever you want. And sometimes when we just engage before the Lord and we allow gratitude and thankfulness to fill our hearts, do you know that is a secret, like, bomb of heaven is the secret weapon that will rip open the glory in your life is gratitude because gratitude takes your eyes off of your problems and yourself and it fixates on Jesus and it unites the room and it makes people come into alignment with who they are in the Lord and in that place he just pours out who he is it's not necessarily even he's like I'm going to heal this a little bit Beep, boop, 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 boop. He, he just pours out himself and we get healed who is Jesus to you Sorry, I, I have 16 pages of notes. I know I always say that, and it's getting annoying. I'm just trying to pick and choose. When Jesus reveals himself to you as something specific, it permeates your whole relationship with him. You will feel it when you study his word, and as you pray, and as you worship. 
Because for a lot of us, when we say Jesus is my healer and it's something just separated from us as an attribute of, of something that he carries, right? It can feel shallow is the best word to describe it, right? And that's because we have like a, a Greek-Roman mindset. When we think about healing, we think about that as like a quality or something that Jesus has. Like he's really nice. He heals. But the Hebrew mindset is that Jesus is healing. That like the Spirit of God is healing. So the power of your testimony is designed to lead others to Jesus. The path that led you to him becomes a trail for others to follow if you will share the path. Another great example, who's watched The Chosen? Can I see your hands, anybody? Who cried during The Chosen? Keep your hands up. up. (laughs) The Chosen turns me into a crier faster than some of the worship songs I love. So my favorite interaction in that show so far was the woman at the well. So in John 4, Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well, and she's coming in the heat of the day. She's ashamed. She can't go with the women in the cool of the morning because of her lifestyle choices, and she's been kind of ostracized. And so she has to go when it's miserably hot and, um, so that she won't be shamed. So Jesus is waiting for her at the well, right? Now, he's breaking all social norms to strike up a conversation with this woman. And there's a reason for that. You see, Jewish people typically despise Samaritan. But why? It's because they, they have mixed Jewish and Gentile blood, number one. And then the second is that they believe that worship should be at a different place than Jerusalem. So when Jesus uh, is talking to her, he's breaking through years and years and years of social norms she would not expect a Jewish man to speak to her because she's of mixed, dirty blood. And a lot of friction was between those two people groups. So Jesus is talking to her. He's also a man. Let's, let's add that in there. That's different back then too. And when he talks to her, he begins to prophesy at the well. Now this is the, this is the poetry of God because we think this is just a great example of evangelism, right? But this is the poetry of the Lord that the well that he is standing at was dug by Jacob, the ancestor that they both shared. And when he was talking to her, he said, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks the living water, I give them. They will never be thirsty again. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, flooding you with endless life. Now she replies, a lot of times when we read the scriptures like this, because you've all probably heard this story multiple times, right? Is sarcasm in the Bible? I think it might be. (laughs) I think it is. Because she replied, everyone in our mind, when you read it in the NIV or something, you read it probably like, Let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again. (laughs) But like he's talking about, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. She's not dumb. She knows that she's going to be thirsty, that there's not water that you can drink that you'll never. She's not like so gullible. It's like, give me some of this water that I'll never be thirsty in my physical body again. She's being sarcastic. She's like, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again. Have to come here and draw the water. And so Jesus responds to this, right? She's being real. He responds in kind, and he's real. He said, well, go get your husband and bring him back here. 
And she says, but I'm not married. So Jesus, you know, does what any, what, what he would have taught any of us to do. We just proceed to read her mail and tell her specific details about her life. <laughs> and uh, then he, this is the other part that I think that we forget about gets lost in translation because it's traditionally just a, a tale of evangelism, right? Um, he drops heaven's secret plan to redeem humanity he tells her who he is. He hadn't done that outside of his disciples. He, this is the first outsider he's revealed himself to. And he tells her the biggest mic dropper, because remember I told you that one of the biggest contentions between the Samaritans and the Jewish people was that they didn't believe that worship would happen at Jerusalem. And what does Jesus say? He responds and says that now is the time where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For those are the worshipers the Father seeks. It won't be neither here nor there in Jerusalem, but the condition of the heart. So he is not just going for the external features of her life. You've sinned, you've done this. He is going for the core root issue that she believes has disqualified her from being in relationship with God. And he is saying that what your heart has cried out for, what every human has always wanted, is now being purchased through my life because now it'll be about the condition and purity of heart and worshipers everywhere will be called to worship wherever they are. He was telling her about the kingdom of God. And so she drops her stuff and she runs around telling everybody, come and meet, see the man who told me everything I ever did. And, and here's the part that everybody forgets. She was the first evangelist for Jesus. It, it said that she went throughout the whole town and thousands of people from the town came to hear. She literally led them all to Jesus. Because he had revealed himself to her, right? He showed her, he showed her who he was. So who is Jesus to you? Because this question is going to change everything. Because your testimony, it's designed to carry his glory. When you share who he is to you, it will lead others to Jesus, right? Maybe you're not exactly sure who he's revealed himself to you as. That's okay. Another amazing attribute of his love is that he's not, he's not limited to showing you just one side of it. Hmm? You see, angels, like we sang earlier today in worship, they've been circling the throne since creation, and they're still discovering new things about him. And you and I are going to spend eternity doing the same thing. He's, he's remarkable. He is holy, different, set apart, but this is the part that gets me. He lives inside this clay, this dirt that he formed. Put your hand on your stomach for a minute here. You don't have to play it like a bongo. Just, you know, put it there. <laughs> he lives in you. Do you, do you get that revelation? The Spirit of God is literally inside your physical body right now. He's the potter. He formed the vessel, and then he poured himself into it. I don't think we're ever going to figure him out. I don't think we'll ever fully understand that. He's so kind and transparently righteous. His word, his will, his ways are set before us, and we're just going to keep discovering how good he is. So, Today, during Love Month, I want to share with you about the Jesus marriage. Now today, what I'm going to share is going to apply to married couples. Married people in the room today? Yeah. There's a few of you still excited. That's good. <laughs> but it's going to, it really is a, 
you can apply it to who we are in Jesus. So, my wife and Ashley, my wife and Ashley, oh gosh, just Ashley. Sorry, hon. She's watching online. <laughs> I have one wife. Her name is Ashley. <laughs> Let that be said. <laughs> no YouTube videos about multiple marriages at Bethel Cleveland. I am married to one. <laughs> when we were dating, we used to joke about how we could write a marriage book. You know, we were so experienced. How many, how many people before you got married, you were like, oh, it's going to be so easy. Parents know this too. You watch somebody with their kids and you're like, I'm never going to do that. And then you find yourself five years later and the Lord's like, justice. And you're like, okay, maybe I understand. <laughs> But we were joking. We were like, let's write a book. We'll write a book about marriage. We understand the dynamics. We have a, we have a great relationship. People say we blend together, that they've never seen people who were more like perfect for each other. Peanut butter and jelly, as a friend of mine would say. Um, so clearly, you know, we had a lot to learn. <laughs> uh, we have a beautiful and rare marriage and you know are there pressure points yeah everybody has them but the dream that started as a joke is becoming a message for us because I wanted to kind of bring you into our conversation that we've been having about the Jesus marriage we were driving in the car and Ashley just looked over and she said I thought about the title of the book that we should write and I said what's that she said the Jesus marriage and in my mind I could see it just, just right there and from that point like, you know, songwriting's been good, like, prep for me because you get an idea and then you write it down. So I just started writing down ideas and started writing down different things. I felt like the Lord was speaking to us specifically about marriage because there is a million marriage books. I mean, if the Lord talked about writing a marriage book to you, you'd probably be like, oh, good Lord. What, what is there that's new to say, Right? But that's the beauty of our Lord is that he, he's always got something new to say. And sometimes it's just recommunicating an ancient truth in a fresh way that makes it make that journey from the head to the heart, right? So I remember, who has Jesus revealed himself to you as? In Genesis, we're introduced to God as the creator. Before any other identity, he revealed himself as the creator. We see a God who was willing to fashion the cosmos, build the universe. I love it from that Hillsong that lyric, it said, in the vapor of his breath, the planets formed. And then he spoke, and his words built the earth. And those words are the word of God. So who is the word of God? Jesus, right? So Jesus was the sound that brought all creation into being. This, Jesus is the word, the audible word of God, caused life to be released in the earth, he breathed his spirit into the dirt and he created life from dust, designed our bodies and put us in a garden. The Jesus marriage is an invitation for you to begin to embrace the fact that you are a bride and he is the bridegroom. Look to the person on your left and your right and say, you're the bride. Or better yet, look and say, I'm the bride. Ladies, tell the men next to you, you're a pretty bride. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, listen, I, I'm still adjusting to being a bride. <laughs> 
Pastor Steve helped us last week talking about how he loves and the sloppy wet kiss that's leading us, you know, a little bit further down the road of being comfortable with the idea of being a bride as a man. Um, but you know what, women? You're a part of the body of Christ, and that body is a man. So if you can be a part of a man's body, I can be a bride. We'll let the theologians, like, dupe that one out later. All right, so this same Jesus who is the first word spoken is the bridegroom, and he was the bridegroom before the first heartbeat on earth. Why do I say that? It's because before the foundations of the earth were laid, it says in the word of God that the lamb was slain before what? Before the foundations of the earth. So before the earth even had form, it was a void and dark place, before humanity was ever even there, he had already pre-planned this wedding. He'd already pre-planned the bride that would form out of, the, out of his creation that he would give everything to be with. So he was the bridegroom. And why, why is this important? It's because so often when we think about Scripture, we interpret it in a tone that is outside of a person in love. Right? We've got to allow our hearts to receive the revelation of Jesus as the bridegroom because it's going to change the way you hear his voice. So have you guys ever had a text that upset you that you later realized you misunderstood their tone? Mostly like one-word answers. You pour your heart out, someone says okay. <laughs> and in your mind, you know, you're like, I'm just being vulnerable. And then you read it and it goes... Okay. They might have meant, okay, because I'm, I'm in the middle of a crazy, important scenario. Like, I just, you know, I'm driving. I can't respond to you. This is my default answer. But we read that tone. My favorite text message, because I looked up a few just to see, um, there was a screenshot, and it says, I'm here for you. And the person responds saying, thanks. I'm really going through a tough time, so it means a whole lot. I'm really sorry. Who is this? I lost all my contacts. And the response says, this is your Uber driver. I'm here to pick you up. <laughs> oh. So do you see how, like, when you read a text, the tone can, like, provoke a completely different response, right? This person says, I'm here for you. She's in a vulnerable moment. She's like, oh, it's so wonderful. Who is this person who loves me? And then you realize it's just the Uber. He, he probably meant, I'm here to pick you up. Our tone and how we interpret and hear the word of God will change the way that you can receive it. So if we read the scriptures outside of the understanding that our God is in love with you, we're probably going to interpret it, the tone wrong from time to time, right? So we got to learn his tone. Jesus, the bridegroom, talks to you and me as his bride. That's why Jesus always says stuff like, you know, crazy stuff like, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it for you. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask and you will receive. That mountain will be tossed right into the sea. Jesus is in love with you. That is the groom talking to his bride, wanting to give her anything she asks for. Right? We forget that the same way that men, we pursued our bride and women, the same way that the husband pursued you while you were dating, and still, is the human version of how Jesus is pursuing you. Have you ever been 
blown away by the Holy Spirit when you were in a totally bad place? Nobody? You're all just, it's good? Yeah? Good? Okay. Well, good. I'm, I'm the, I need to go pray a little bit. Um, there was a time when I was in ministry school, and uh, I was having an argument, and it was just in total bad spot. So I go to the worship service, and I'm just, like, mad. Have you ever found a worship mad? I mean, I was mad. Thank God I wasn't leading or anything. But I went and I sat down, and um, I was just so angry. And I was angry at God, honestly. I mean, we were having it out. Me and him have a pretty transparent relationship. I, I, wor I worry about the judgment seat of Christ sometimes with how honest I am before him. Um, not really, but kind of. So I was sitting there, and Allison Thomas, you all know her and love her, right? Worship leader, extraordinary, she's amazing. Her dad, Pastor Joe, he has like a velvet voice of the Holy Spirit. When he sings, it enshrouds you with the presence of God. So I was sitting there, and when I least expected it, I felt the heavy, thick, like kabod, like the weight of glory just come down on me. And I was laid out for like 45 minutes to an hour in the presence and the glory of God. And I think that what blew me away about it was number one, just the way he loves us. It's amazing. It's extravagant. It's outrageous. And it blows me away every time that we taste that. But two, I didn't deserve it in that moment. I was not in the right headspace, right? But the Lord came and he interrupted that. Why? Because I'm his bride. He's pursuing me. He's wooing me. He's treating me like the bride when he pursues me when I don't deserve it. So how does the Lord pursue his bride? Like everything else he does. Perfectly. The moment that you receive this, you're done for. You cannot resist the charm of the heavenly bridegroom, I promise you. That's why there's so many uh, Bible stories and verses and songs written about the, the love of God because his voice romances our soul. Right? Right? Do you all know that song? Dance with me, O lover of my soul, to the song of all songs. We become like sloppy romantics when we finally get it. We can't help but sing about it. So we've got to get into this spot that if Jesus is his presence and if Jesus is his word, then we need to start to hear that when we study it. We can't have this separation that we as humans do really well. I mean, we can't like, compartmentalize our emotions, right? Like sometimes if you don't want to feel something, you put it in a box, put it away, and put it into an imaginary room in your house, and then leave that inside and don't touch your emotions. Like you can't do that in the Word. You have to allow yourself to feel the full experience of how much He loves you. So Jesus' marriage, Ephesians 5 this is the uh, passage about wives submitting to their husbands. So I'm just to prep you. This passage, when I hear that, it, it, when I understand the context of what the Lord is, where he's coming from, it actually will melt your heart. But for so many people, it's painful. Why is that? Because we hear the passage about submission, and um, we only think about imprisonment and control, right? Because... Like, this is a quote from Bill Johnson I wanted to share with you, that historically the Bible is interpreted by those who are not in love. So when someone is in love with Jesus, not just a good student, good motives, but passionate about him, you hear it in the way that they interpret the scriptures and how they live out his values. It sounds like Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. The Father is the source of love, right? So... 
In John, 1 John 4, I just want to read a verse here and we're going to kind of skip through because we're running out of time. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So there is no fear in love, right? Can you say that? There is no fear in love. So out of love, there's fear, right? And fear kills creativity. It kills love. It kills risk. Fear causes us to become cautious. And cautious people, they don't take risks, right? Cautious people are looking out for number one. But risk is a requirement for true faith because faith can only exist within risk. If we can go into a circumstance and we don't require his divine intervention, then that circumstance doesn't require faith. Faith comes to life. It thrives in risk. Now hear me out here. Obviously not all risk. I'm not telling you to go para-jumping or whatever it is, you know. Hello, Jesus. I'm not telling you to do something stupid, you know, and, and risky. I'm saying that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. But don't you think that it probably felt like risk? He was fully God and fully man. Didn't it feel maybe like risk when Jesus spat into the dirt and, was, and the Lord told him to take the dirt and rub it in somebody's eyes? Did that require the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through? Now hear me out, just to remind you, Jesus performed no miracles out of his identity as the Son of God. He laid all of those things down and he demonstrated what a life would look like perfectly surrendered before the Lord, a perfect sinless life that was made right with the Holy Spirit. And he demonstrated what that life would look like, what those miracles would look like because he was leaving a blueprint for you and for me that this is the kind of life that we can lead. These are the kind of miracles that through the Holy Spirit living in us, we can do. He wasn't just showing off as the Son of God. He was saying that this is what you're made for. This is what it looks like when you're made right with God. This is what it looks like when the Spirit flows through you. That's why he said it. He said, you'll do greater things than I'll ever do. Ever did. Will do. More things. All the good things. Did it feel like risk when he walked into a funeral of a whole house of weeping people because a 12-year-old had died? Did it feel edgy when he had only one lunchbox to feed thousands of people? Or did Jesus interpret risk differently? Maybe risk doesn't have the same connotations once we understand our bridegroom's love and determination for us. See, this, our groom, he, pre, he predetermined the cost and he lined up the entire history of humanity with Easter egg prophecies all over, so incontrovertible that the odds of even fulfilling 10 of the potentially 300 plus messianic prophecies would be one in tens of millions. So if we're not in love, both with Jesus and in him, we're in fear. And fear takes these scriptures and makes them tools of control and weaponry. Now, Listen to this. I'm going to say it twice just so you can get it because when I heard it from the Lord, it was a tongue twister in my head. Fear 
breeds control. Control prohibits love because love requires freedom to exist. Fear breeds control and control prohibits love because love requires freedom to exist. This Jesus marriage that we're invited into, it's, it's going to begin its transformative nature in me when I begin to know Jesus as a man in love, as the bridegroom of the bride, which is me, which is you. Everything that that Jesus did ends at a wedding. It's all coming to that marriage supper of the Lamb. All the ages come together in one pivotal moment because everything the Lord has built is about a bride being with her groom. This Jesus marriage, when we come into alignment with the fact that we are betrothed to the Lord. Did you know that in in Jewish culture, there is no distinction between fiance and spouse? There's no difference. It's just two phases. There's the betrothal and the wedding ceremony. All of you here today, did you know that there is a groom who is wildly in love with you? And when Jesus came to live in your heart and in your life, you stepped in to betrothal. We are getting ready for the return of the groom. We're getting ready for Jesus who is coming back for his pure and spotless bride. So Lord, let our lives be a landing strip, God. Let our lives be a landing strip that invites you to come. Let everything that we do open up the gates for you to triumphantly run into our lives. Hmm. So why does this relationship with Jesus exist, the Jesus marriage? because it's not just a way for us to show the world that we're madly in love with our King, but we exist in this relationship with the Lord. We exist in this kind of connection with Him because it illuminates the dark. When we are fully alive in the love of Jesus, when we're fully embraced in the revelation that He is the groom and we are the bride and He is in love with you and there is nothing that He wouldn't do to eliminate the space between us and him. It changes something in us. We want to remind the world that this is the reason behind the reckless love of God. He loves us scandalously. This is who our God is. 
you stand on your feet? I, I want to pray for just some, a couple specific people before we close out today. Hmm. I felt like the Lord told me that this morning that there were some people who were going to walk in who are ready to quit. Ready to walk out of your marriage, ready to quit on your relationship with the Lord. It's come to a breaking point. It's come to that moment. And I want to remind you about something. When you feel like there is no way out, when you feel like your life is crumbling, if you are at that point where you're about to make some huge changes in your life in, relates, in relation to God or to your marriage or the people around you, and you feel like you just can't do it anymore, I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you you're perfectly positioned. Think about Jesus. Close your eyes right now. Every eye closed around the room. Look, look up towards the heavens. And I want you to think about Jesus. When he carried that cross up to Calvary, he knew the infidelity of the hearts of his people. He knew how he would waver back and forth. The word tells us that at any moment, he could have called thousands of angels to rescue him. But something in the middle of all that difficulty, being laid open in shame, being spat on with his last breath, he didn't say, it's not worth it. They're not worth it. He didn't quit. He saw it through. Through his death. And redemption was purchased for our souls. So you may feel like you're dying in your marriage. You might feel like your relationship with God is disconnected and cold. And that he is far from you. But when you decide to take him at his word and recognize his word as a man in love with you. And you allow that will to quit, to die. You will be resurrected and the powerful transformative nature of Jesus can be released to transform your life. Transform you, making you look like the father. You see, this is the Jesus marriage joyous, thriving, healthy relationships with the Lord and marriages in each other. It reflects the heart of Jesus for his bride, for his people, for you and for me. So this morning, if that's you, can I get our ministry teams to come forward just along, along the front? Not because I'm going to call everyone to the altar. I just want you to be able to see, have a bird's eye view of the room. If I'm talking to you today, if you're, if you're ready to, number one, if you're ready to walk away from the Lord, I want to tell you today that if you have this interpretation that he is cold and far off and distant, I want you to know that he is a man in love. He loves you. He, everything he said in scripture, everything he did in the entire existence of humanity was made for this moment so that you could encounter his love. And I promise you that if you will introduce yourself to him this morning, he will make himself real to you. He will redeem your past. I don't care what your past looks like. Jesus' blood has covered the power, the weight of every sin. His blood has purchased your ransom. There is nothing that you have done that can prevent him. Accept your no. 
So if that's you this morning and you would say, Jay, I've been far away from the Lord or I've, I've never had a real relationship with him or maybe I'm so entrenched in my sin and my heaviness and my burdens that I can't even feel the presence of God anymore. But I want to step forward into a posture of faith. Remember, we talked about this. Faith is risk. If it felt like a sure thing, if it felt like he was just gonna show up, there wouldn't be any faith required. He will show up. But that fear, that catching in your chest, that is just the symptom that the Lord is moving on you right now. So if you want to give your heart to the Lord, if you want to open up your life to being introduced to Jesus, the bridegroom who loves you, I want you to just raise your hand. I don't even have my eyes open, so. Hands going up all over the room. Ministry teams, if you see anybody with their hand raised, can you go make your way over that way? Come on, I'm super comfortable. This is what we exist for, to create the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come in your life. Is there anybody else that if you were to be honest before the Lord, if you were to stand before him today, you would say that there is a question mark whether you would be received and you want to know Jesus? Raise up your hand and I'm going to pray for you. thank you. Father, we thank you that your blood paid the price for every sin. Lord, we thank you that when it was most difficult, when you were carrying the full weight of all of humanity's sin, you looked up from that cross with that crown of thorns on your head. You looked up and you said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Laid open to shame, mocked, beaten, you looked up and you stayed until it was finished. Lord, I thank you for that kind of love. And so, Father, I invite you into my life. I invite you into my heart. I invite you to fill every part of me that I would know this man called Jesus. I surrender the things in my life that I've carried that have kept me away from you. I lay them at your feet and I welcome you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com give.